Would you stand with me this morning as we begin singing, worshiping our Lord? Come, let us worship. Sing with me. Oh, come, let us worship our King. And come, let us bow at His feet. He has the great things. Oh, see what I say. Looking forward to our time together here this morning. Great singing already. 
And experiencing the greatness of our God is something that we get to do on that Monday through Saturday, and then we get to tell about it together here in this place as we celebrate what God has been doing. And I know that there's hard days and there's difficult days, and yet at the same time, every day is a great opportunity to witness the grandeur of our God. And so we come together to celebrate that, to worship Him and do that together, and it's a joy to have opportunity this morning. It's good to have several visitors with us all the way from Alaska to Vermont. I think we've got the corners covered, uh, and uh, I don't see any of our missionaries with us, but we may have some of those around as well. But it's good to have you in our service today. And if you're visiting, we hope that you'll take a moment, fill out one of our connection cards. Uh, you can do that through the, uh, the QR code, or there is a paper copy of that. And uh, we'd love just to have a record of your visit with us here today. There's several that we're praying for and different ones that uh, our hearts are going out to and continuing to minister to them. And uh, just be reminded of those. There's several that are listed there in the bulletin and different names of people that we uh, get to enjoy fellowship with on a regular basis, but because of some health and some different things, uh, they're not able to uh, be with us. So continue to pray for them. And then also uh, just got word from the Fosters that uh, their son Philip Foster is in the hospital and uh, diverticulitis, some other health concerns, and serious, this is a very serious condition. And uh, so just be in prayer for this Philip Foster, if you would, and uh, remembering him uh, throughout this week. As we go to the Lord at this time and dedicate our service here and asking God to encourage our hearts, I hope that uh, we will not be remiss to prepare our hearts to be thinking about, okay, Lord, and as we sing these songs, as we hear from your word, as we enjoy the fellowship one with another, Help us to be as much giving as much as desiring to be receiving, uh, initiating that, and uh, really that's being at a ministry and a heart of worship and de declaration of God's work in our life. Let's go to him at this time, and let's prepare our hearts to truly worship him today. Father, we're grateful for the opportunity to be gathered here. And Lord, for every life and every person, there's a story, there's an existence, there's a day that... Uh, maybe in this last week or even starting today, there are the challenges, there's difficulties, there's the ups, the downs. Uh, Lord, it's just part of life and it's this existence that we have. And Lord, we're grateful though for a promise, not necessarily that this life would improve, but that in this life we can find grace and mercy. And we, we understand that you are a God that is near and you're close and you bring comfort. You bring a real understanding of what real joy looks like. Even when the tears are flowing, Lord, we know that your gracious nature is ever-present and you dwell within us, those of us that are your children. Lord, we're grateful for the presence that you would give to us. Lord, we know that there are several that are not able to be here and we know there are many that are watching online that would rather be in with us. And Lord, I just pray though that you would give them strength. We've had several that have been battling COVID and these different colds and different things that are going around and then others in more serious conditions. And Lord, we are grateful for your ability to heal. We trust you to work out your plan in all of our lives. And so Lord, magnifying the opportunity to glorify you even in our adversity. And so Lord, I pray that you'll help us to be the salt and the light where you've placed us, no matter what the circumstances are. And Lord, I pray that you'll build us up, grow us. May we be a people that are called by your name to go where you've called us to go. And Lord, may we be present in that place, visualizing for people who need to see the gospel, Lord, as we live in front of them. So bless our time here this morning. Encourage our hearts in the song that we're singing. But Lord, also in the power of your word, may you be seen. It's in Christ's name we pray. 
Amen. Thank you, Pastor. The scripture says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in time of need. And later on in the Psalm, uh, chapter 92, the psalmist says, it's good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to your name, O Most High, to declare your steadfast love in the morning and your faithfulness by night, to the music of the lute and the harp, to the melody of the lyre. For you, O Lord, have made me glad by your work. At the works of your hands, I sing for joy. How great are your works, O Lord. Would you stand with me as we continue worshiping together this morning? I will bless the Lord forever. Hey! 
sing that with me once again. rejoices this morning. We can sing how great thou art, how great you are to provide salvation for us. Lord, if you can do that, conquer death, our other issues in our life should seem so small. So God, help us to claim your promises that you love us, you care for us, you died for us and rose again that we might receive that free gift of salvation to spend eternity with you. If there's someone here this morning that doesn't know you, God, may they put your, their trust in you today. For it's in Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. You may be seated. John's Gospel this morning, as we come again to come and see, to think about 
what Christ is calling us to behold and to understand of his presence and his place in our lives. And John chapter 11 is where I'd like for us to take our thought this morning. The familiarity of this passage for most of us, and yet at the same time, I hope that familiarity does not breed contempt, that we would appreciate what the story reveals. And so reading in John chapter 11, I'm going to pick it up in verse 1. And reading this chapter as I read aloud, you staying with me. It says, now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. And it was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. And I want you to notice how many times we're informed of how sick Lazarus is, all right? I want you to pick up on this and what is said here. In verse 3, and so the sisters sent word to him, saying, Lord, behold, him, him whom you love is sick. But when Jesus heard this, he said, the sickness is not to the end in death, but for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified by it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. And so when he heard that he was sick, he then stayed two days longer in the place where he was. And then after he had said to his disciples, let us go to Judea again. And the disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and you're going there again? And Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. This he said, and after that he said to them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go so that I may awaken him out of sleep. And the disciples then said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now, Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he was speaking of literal sleep. And so Jesus then said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And I am glad for your sakes that I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. And therefore, Thomas, who is called Didymus, said to his fellow disciples, well, let us go also so that we may die with him. And so when Jesus came, he found that he had already been in the tomb four days. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. And Martha, therefore, when she heard that Jesus was coming, went to meet him, but Mary stayed at the house. And Martha then said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. And he who believes in me will live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? And she said to him, yes, Lord, I have believed that you are the Christ, the Son of God, even he who comes into the world. And when she had said this, she went away and called Mary, her sister, saying secretly, the teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she got up quickly and was coming to Jesus. And now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha met him. And then the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, when they saw that Mary got up quickly and went out, they followed her supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. And therefore, when Mary came where Jesus was, she saw him and fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus therefore saw her weeping, and the Jews who came with her also weeping, 
He was deeply moved in spirit and was troubled and said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews were saying, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man also from dying? And so Jesus again, being deeply moved within, came to the tomb, and now it was a cave, and a stone was lying against it. And Jesus said, remove the stone. And Martha, the sister of the deceased, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be a stench. He's been dead four days. And Jesus said to her, did I not say to you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? And so they removed the stone. Then Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me. Because of these people standing around, I said it so that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And the man who had died came forth bound hand and foot with wrappings and his face was wrapped around with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. And therefore, many of the Jews who came to Mary and saw what he had done believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them the things which Jesus had done. And therefore, the chief priests and the Pharisees convened a council and were saying, what are we doing? For this man is performing many signs. If we let him go on like this, all men will believe in him. And the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. But one of them, Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, said to them, you know nothing at all. Nor do you take into account that it is expedient for you that one man die for the people and that the whole nation not perish. Now he did not say this in his own initiative, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus was going to die for the nation. And not for the nation only, but in order that he might also gather together into one the children of God who were scattered abroad. So from that day on, they planned together to kill him. And therefore, Jesus no longer continued to walk publicly among the Jews, but went away from there to the country near the wilderness into a city called Ephraim. And there he stayed with the disciples. Now, the Passover of the Jews was near. And many went up to Jerusalem out of the country before the Passover to purify themselves. And so they were seeking for Jesus and were saying to one another as they stood at the temple, well, what do you think? That he will not come to the feast at all? Now the chief priests and the Pharisees had given orders that if anyone knew where he was, he was to report it so that they might seize him. Father, I pray as we have read this passage, as we have the opportunity now to take time to digest it, to process it, I pray that we would understand its application. Lord, I pray that in our time here together that your word would come alive in our hearts to confirm as much as to in many ways, instill in us an appreciation for the power of our God, the purpose, the plan, everything about what it is that Christ came to do. And so, Lord, magnify yourself in this moment as we dedicate the reading of your word to our hearts and our minds. May it truly be the instrument of transformation within us. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Remove the stone. What a powerful statement that Christ gives there in that segment when he comes to verse 39. And the foreshadow of another resurrection event should be pretty obvious to our minds as we read this chapter. This is something that's a, in many ways a, a precursor, a prelude to another resurrection event that's going to take place a little bit later on inside of the book of John. 
And inside of this chapter's six divisions, there are basically three summary expressions that I want to look at this morning, three summary statements that I look at in formulating an understanding of what's going on in chapter 11. And so we're just going to kind of dive in here this morning and let's look at these three summations together. And the first one is this, is that what I see here summarized for us is the monument of death. This whole chapter, basically, as you read it, you know, go back to chapter 11, verse 4, and it talks about this, this idea of this sickness is not to end in death. He says in verse 8, Rabbi, the Jews are now seeking to stone you. You know, the, the end result of that is death. Uh, in, in verses 13 through 16, you, you find them again talking about how it's not a, a sickness, but fellas. I'm talking about he's dead. And I'm glad that this event has taken place because I want us to be able to go and I want to be able to show you the works of the Father. I, I want to demonstrate to you that there is something more that you need to believe in. And there's a, a call of belief. And, and then I, I love verse 16. You know, Thomas uh, referred to as doubting Thomas. And, and I don't think he gets that, you know, you know, I don't think that's necessarily a fair assessment, but I, I could hear him, and it's, it's, it's just like, you know, okay, it's like, I don't know if he's quite Eeyore, but it sounds like Eeyore to me. Well, we might as well go and die there with him, you know, kind of that mindset. It's, it's this whole understanding that it's this whole first section is about death. You get to verse 21, and it's about, Lord, if you'd been here, he would not have died. In verse uh, uh, 32, the, the latter part of verse 32, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. You get to verse 39, and, and it's all about death. Everything about these first 42 verses of this chapter is encased in a shroud of gloom. It is all about sickness and ultimately a discussion regarding dying. And the whole story is about how death seems so final, so done. And it, in any way you can look at this is that it feels so powerful. Like death is the end. You know, is that how you view dying? You know, to talk about the end of your life or the life of a loved one, does that unnerve you? Does it cause you to grow uneasy or perhaps even hostile? The tomb of Lazarus becomes for me a monument of a life that had existed. It's as if we think about Lazarus, he's in the grave and it's done. Another point here is that everyone was concerned about keeping poor old Lazarus alive. If you had only been here. Well, even the disciples, Lord, he sleeps, that's great news. He's going to recover from his sickness. No, Lazarus is dead. Oh no, you could have done something. This one who had healed a blind man, couldn't he have kept Lazarus from dying? Death, separation, fear, the mourning process, the reminder of loss. And if you have ever experienced death, if not for yourself, obviously, but it does feel so final. To watch a loved one go through sickness and to watch their final days, death just feels so final. The tomb, the stone over that tomb, this was a monument to a life done, a life lived, and that's all that remains. But I'm glad for the second part, the second summation of this, because Jesus was not having any of that. 
And so we come to the second summary statement in this passage, and that is it's a message of deliverance. You go back to chapter 11, verse 4. This sickness is not to end in death. In verse 7, he talks about, let us go to Judea again, as if to say, there isn't anything that I am afraid of, of what anyone can do. He says in verse 11 as well, this is the the idea, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go so that I may awaken him out of sleep. And then there's verses again in 14 through 15 where he talks about the, the death of Lazarus and how I'm glad I was not there, verse 15, so that you may believe, but let's go to him. As if like going to him, there is something significant even in this moment to recognize there is still something greater that God has in store. In verses 23 and following there that he says, in verse 23, your brother is going to rise again, Martha. In verses 25 and 26, I am the resurrection and the life. And he who believes in me will, even, will live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? In verse 39, that first part of 39 remove the stone. There's something to be seen still about this one that's behind that stone. And then in verses 41 and 42, they removed it and Jesus raises his eyes and Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but because of these people standing around, I said it so that they may believe that you sent me. And then in 43 and 44, that loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. My dad used to always say he had to call him by name because God had the power to raise every dead person in the cemetery. It wasn't like, hey, you all come out, you know? It was Lazarus, I've got something still left for you to do. Jesus leaves the relative safety of the Jordan region. Remember, because at the end of chapter 10, they were already conspiring to kill him. That's what Thomas was referring to. Lord, they, they were ready to kill you. Hey, but let's go on. Let's go back with him again. And they're there in this relative safety there, removed from all of the strife there. And he comes to bring light, to bear a message of hope, to bring comfort. You see, death is not the end. Remove the stone. In many ways, Jesus is saying, tear down the monuments to death. Destroy your view of the end. I have come that you might have life because there's more to the story. I love how Paul picks up on this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, where he writes in those verses 22 through 26, and he says, for as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the first fruits after those who are Christ at his coming. Then comes the end, where he hands over the kingdom to the God and Father when he has abolished all rule and all authority and power, he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. And I love verse 26. The last enemy that will be abolished is what, church? Death. And as we mentioned last time, John tends to write with the resurrection fully in view. Martha, your brother is going to rise again. And verse 25 is very key to our understanding of what Christ is trying to emphasize here. I am the resurrection and the life. And he who believes in me will live even if he dies. The resurrection and life, we get so wrapped up in the health of a person. 
And most of our prayer requests focus on the health needs. And we spend thousands of dollars on medical care and we attempt all we can to eradicate what ails us. And that's not to say, and please don't hear me saying, I'm not to say that we don't go to the doctors. We don't get the tests run, take the medicines and live as healthy a life as we possibly can. But what I am saying is that dying is not the end. Being sick and facing even death is not all that there is. Our existence and even our death is something that is always in God's hands. And he is the determiner of our destination. What Jesus does here is he gives this shadow of what's going to happen in just a few days, a few weeks from now. He's going to go and he's going to appear upon a cross. And he's going to be manhandled, he's going to be abused, and he's going to be beaten up, and it's going to be brutal. And all of it is because of our sin. And he endures a death. He dies a death that is not his to be taken. And we will read that the disciples panicked and they despaired and they even doubted their purpose and even their very existence. And they would hide and they would run away and they would even try to go back into old habits and go back into old jobs. But when Jesus returns from the dead, they all start living again. They face martyrdom. And they went everywhere declaring the wonderful news of a risen Savior. This message delivered them from even the worst of their fears, death itself. I think of the worst part of this story is that Lazarus had to come back. I wonder what the other side of the story was like from Lazarus' point of view. And I think about the sense of where he was at and how God brings him back into this realm. But understanding what Jesus tells his disciples in just a few more days that he is coming back on purpose to bring us to where he has been preparing a place for those who have believed. And that's in chapter 14. And that leads us then to the third summary statement of this chapter. To understand that we move from this message of deliverance to number three, a moment of decision. In verses 14 through 16, again, as you think about what he is sharing with even his own disciples as he talks with them, and he is saying to them, listen, there is something that is going to happen. Lazarus is dead, and I am glad for your sakes that I was not there, so that you may believe. Because there's an understanding, even in Christ's knowledge of where his disciples are, that many of them are still on the fringe. They're still struggling to grasp the fullness of who this man is that they've been following now for nearly three years. Okay, I'm going to give you one of the greatest illustrations, one of the greatest demonstrations of who I really am. Verse 22 in the first part of that, even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give to you. I love verse 23, your brother will rise again. Verses 26 and 27 Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? In verses 33 through 37, he's talking about the weeping that's going on, the movement of his spirit, the trouble, a question of where have you laid him? Let's go see the weeping of his own heart, the acknowledgement of his love. And then verse 37, could not this man who opened the eyes of a blind man not Was he not capable of keeping the disease, the ailment from plaguing Lazarus' body to the point of death? Could he not have cured him? 
And then those last section there, that lengthier portion of the end, really starting about verse 45, where people observe the resurrection event of Lazarus, and many believe, but then there are those that go back and report it to the Pharisees, and you get that whole dialogue there, verses 47 down through 57, and that you, you notice their reaction to Christ. Let's kill him. The 12 had a decision to make. Martha had a decision to make. Mary, along with all of those Jews that are around her, they had a decision to make. The chief priests and the Pharisees had a decision to make. And today, you're here based upon a decision that you have made. You know, Martha is an interesting character in this telling. What I find interesting is how much she knows. I know that you're this, and I know that there's this. And and I don't want to give Martha a bad rap. And I don't really know, honestly, where Martha's heart is and all this. I I see the glimmers of her being really confirming in her understanding, her knowledge of things. I find it interesting that Jesus is very plain with her, and, and he even asks her to define where her belief was truly resting. The disciples all were following Jesus, and yet he plainly indicates that belief was still not settled within them. And it seems that Mary has a a slightly different response. And then you come to the Jews and the obviously religious crowd. You've got the animosity of some and the absolute shameless bias of their hearts is plain. And in all of this chapter, we see over and again that this death had brought about a, a capstone of proof, and yet it also brought about a full release of hostility. What I find amazing is how true that still is to the story of Christ. Jesus came into the world to demonstrate the love of the Father, and He came with a and I don't mean this in the sense of being simple as if in like it without substance, but it was not a difficult message. It was a message of hope, a willingness to do for mankind what mankind could not do for themselves. Man stood condemned, and Jesus had no need to offer further condemnation because Jesus came to be the deliverer. But mankind had this battle raging within them to be free from any type of obligation to their Creator. But by doing so, they stripped themselves of the very life that they desperately seek to hold on to. And so God, the giver and the sustainer of life, has granted to every person born the right to eternity. But you cannot get to that life unless you accept Him to be God your God. And so, to exist as a sinner is an existence that means you are separated much like what death does to us when we lose our friends and we lose our loved ones. So, what can we take away from this this morning? Well, notice with me first of all this, that death leads to an existence in a place separated from God for all of eternity per your choice. The moment I came into this existence as a human being born of my mother, I began a journey of dying. Because there is an event that comes at the end, it happens to all of us. And to come in as I exist, in that state, born as I was, 
in the image of my father, but really the father being the progenitor, that Adam seed, that person way back when at the beginning of creation, as he birthed our existence and brought us into this place, we understand that we were born under the same condemnation, born under the same guilt, born under the same place and condition, that to die in that condition meant I was eternally separated from God. And that was a choice. Because God all along has been reminding the world of who He is and what His position is in front of them. The second takeaway, though, is that God loved us despite of our rebellion. And He gave us a better choice. That choice does not present a judgment call. It brings forth really more a sense that by me choosing to accept or reject it, I am making the judgment call. To continue to reject the expression of that love by refusing to believe in Jesus as my Savior leads the person down the same path that you've been on since you were born. But to accept Jesus Christ, which is the third takeaway, to believe in Jesus as your Savior leads you down a different path that leads to life and eternity with God. So in this life, you will have suffering. In this life, you will face death. But what God has prepared for us is a place as it was intended to be before sin ever entered into this world. No more dying, no more suffering, no more pain, no more tears, no more heartache. And that is what being in the presence of God truly brings about. We're now free to live in this life even, as God intended us to live. You see, Martha had a lot of head knowledge. Similar like being raised in church all your life and hearing all the Bible stories and knowing all the right answers and knowing each of the characters and having all the action cards to go along with them. But do you believe that what you know is more than just a story or a title or just simply an event in history? Have you ever believed in Jesus for yourself. The disciples had to make a choice. Martha had to make a choice. Mary had to make a choice. Those Jews that were there with them had to make a choice. And now we, the Gentiles who've been grafted in and been able to give, been given the opportunity of receiving this gracious gospel, we've had to make a choice. Do you believe? Perhaps you're here, you're not even really accustomed to all this church stuff at all then the truth is still just as important for you as it is for every other person in the room. You have a decision in front of you. And maybe that decision was made a long time ago. Then do you live like it? If you're here this morning and Christ is not your Savior, will you believe that Jesus is God's Son and that He died for you to take away the penalty of your sin? When you're talking with your neighbor, Do you see them as someone that God loves? And in the same way as he is magnifying his love in your life, you model that love to them. You care about them. You are a mouthpiece because you're walking in the light. You're shining the light before them. They're stumbling in the darkness and they don't know where to go. You have the light of the gospel. You claim to love Jesus and that Jesus loves you. But are you a gospel bringer to the story of their life? How do you explain the gospel to someone who needs to know it and to hear it? Will you believe 
in his power to take away the penalty of sin. Jesus simply said, remove the stone. And do you believe that behind that veil of fear and doubt could be life? And Jesus, that author of life, is the one who can call us out from our monuments to death and deliver our souls from an eternity that is separated from God. Do you believe? There's a song that Bob Coughlin wrote several years ago. It's entitled, It Is Not Death to Die. And the lyrics go like this. It says, it is not death to die, to leave this weary road and join the saints who dwell on high, who found their home with God. It is not death to close the eyes long dimmed by tears and wake in joy before your throne, delivered from our fears. It is not death to fling aside this earthly dust and rise with strong and noble wing to live among the just. It is not death to hear the key unlock the door that sets us free from mortal years to praise you evermore. And then the chorus, it says, O Jesus, conquering the grave, your precious blood has power to save. And those who trust in you will in your mercy find that it is not death to die. Father, I pray as we think about our own condition before you, and we think about the reality, the, the realization that all of us will one day face that calendar event, that date that is established in your own knowing, where we are appointed to the day of our passing, our dying. Lord, it is a part of our existence on this side of eternity. And Lord, as I think about this passage and I think about this person, Lazarus, and his two sisters, and I think about those Jews and all the disciples, and I think about my Lord being there. To imagine even in himself knowing that just in a brief time, he himself will be facing this event where he would die for the sins of mankind, and that his body would be placed into a grave, but knowing full well that it wouldn't take even four days, but in three days, he would come up out of that grave. It is not death to die. To know that you are the God that strengthens us even in the midst of our most end points of existence. You're there and you've experienced it and you've given us victory. You conquer even death itself. Lord, what is it that we fear? And at its greatest zenith and height, usually it's the death event. Lord, I'm grateful for your power and your promise that even if in this lifetime we experience death, you are the resurrection and the life. And so Lord, I pray for that soul that's here today that refuses to acknowledge that they will ever have an end. That one that's here today that also trembles at the very thought of what death would bring. I pray that they would witness and behold the reality of a Savior who has come to give us victory even over death itself. The ultimate separation from you as our God to release us from that penalty, that punishment, and to give to us a promise that you will be with us for all of eternity. 
And so Lord, if in this lifetime I have to pass through the portal of death, it is not the death that you're speaking of because you have given to me life and life eternal. And Lord, for that soul that's here that's struggling with that, I pray that before they leave today, they would seek someone out, that we get the answers to their greatest need, the existence of their eternity. And Lord, for that believer that's here, that's struggling with end thoughts, Lord, I pray that you'd help them to also realize how truly powerful your promise is. Speak as only your word can. May you be seen. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together and sing. Great God of highest heaven, occupy my lowly heart. Own it all and reign supreme, conquer every rebel power. Let no vice or sin remain that resists your holy war. You have loved and purchased me. church. I love to get to do what I'm about to do this morning. I want to introduce some folks to you who have um, gone through our membership process as outlined in our bylaws, and they have come with a desire to uh, become members of our church. And so um, in your bulletin, I was laughing to myself. I was like, I don't usually take this platform without my glasses, but I, you can read that on the back row. So like, I'm in good shape this morning. Um, in your bulletin are their testimonies of these five folks who uh, have come through the process and desire to be members with us. 
please, particularly if you're a member of our church, read these stories. You will be blessed, one, by the unfolding of the gospel, but also the unique stories of these folks that God has brought to himself and now brought to us. So um, candidates, as I call your name, would you just come forward and stand right here just so our folks can see you. First, we have Chad Heath. And Chris, if you want to come up with him, since you're already a member here, or if you want to hang tight back there, um, whatever you'd like to do. So Chad Heath, um, Dennis and Susie Moeller, who happen to be the parents of Carissa Heath. So, I mean, it's a family thing, so we might as well have you up here. Carissa joined us like several months ago, and Chad, because of his job, wasn't able to, to be in the classes as often as he would like, so uh, he wanted to defer till he could make that time. And then Chris and Tammy Summers. You guys come on forward. I love these people. And if you haven't gotten to know them yet, please do. And if you read your, their stories and you go, oh, I want to know more, ask them because you have the edited version. That's one of the hardest things I do in this membership process. Grace Baptist Church, these five folks have come with a desire to join us in membership and be a part of this local church family. Um, and if you are in favor of their joining us, would you signify by saying I? Amen. Amen. All right. Um, these folks are going to follow me out into the foyer. And in a little bit, when we're done, Camilla's going to come make some announcements. If you would come by and just shake their hand and give them a welcome and tell them your name. And then next week, ask them. No, I won't do that. Um, we won't do that. You have five names to remember and they will have several. So church, thank you and um, get to know these folks. Camilla. All right, that is exciting. Thank you all for joining us today. I'm Camilla Borma. I am the Director of Women's Ministry here at Grace. I have just a few short announcements before we head to our fellowship time and then on to the discipleship hour at 11 o'clock. First of all, I want to invite all ladies to take note of the Dare for More conference that is this Friday night and Saturday morning in Hickson. This is Reba Bowman's conference. Ladies, you aren't going to want to miss it. You will hear her speak. You'll, she will challenge us from the word. And then she also brings uh, several representatives of her ministries with her to, to the states. One, there's, there's going to be representatives from Guatemala, Dominican Republic. Uh, they will bring their goods that you can sell to support them. I have on some of their jewelry this morning that I have bought in years past. Uh, you won't want to miss this. There's uh, more notes in the bulletin about this. If you need more information, you're more than welcome to contact me or Diana Pimentel. We'd love to have you join us there this Friday night and Saturday morning. Another announcement that you may have seen in your bulletin is about our annual Easter egg hunt. We are excited this year to invite families from Choices to join us. Uh, as an outreach opportunity, please remember that we need lots of candy donations to fill those eggs. There's a box in the foyer and also uh, where you can drop off your donations or also you could drop it off at the church office. Several people have been filling their eggs for us and then dropping them off and we appreciate that. We're less than a month away, so be sure to uh, get your candy to us as quickly as you can. Well, yesterday was a great day. It was our Awana Grand Prix, and it's always fun. I loved watching the kids walk in with their cars yesterday, so proud of the work that they and their parents had done, and they got to race their cars. Thank you to everyone who came out and cheered them on and for helping the Alaska team by eating lots of hot dogs and pizza. 
they were able to raise quite a bit of money for their trip, and that was exciting. And on the screen, you see the race winners uh, from yesterday. Awards were given out for design and for speed. Congratulations to all these kids and to their parents who... (laughs) Their Grand Prix dreams were made and confirmed yesterday, so it was great. Well, as we dismiss, please be sure to stop by the back of the auditorium if you need any help with the, the church app, the directory app, if you need any help setting it up, if you need help getting your picture taken, how to upload it, etc., Pam and Laura are back there waiting for you as you leave the auditorium. And just one more item I want to bring to your attention. There's going to be a couple of informational meetings coming up. First of all, if you'd like to go on a trip to Kenya to support Caitlin Pollock's ministry, there'll be a meeting today at 1050 on the Oregon side at 10.50 in just a few minutes. And then secondly, there's also going to be an informational meeting uh, this afternoon, or today during the fellowship hour. Check your bulletin for that location on if you would like one of your children to attend the wilds, attend the camp at the wilds. And that's also right here, right after. Okay, right right after this service, come on up here if you'd like one of your children if you'd like to find out more information about your children attending the Wilds Camp. So those are some couple of informational meetings. That's it. Visitors, we love having you here. You're welcome to join us at the fellowship timing, uh, fellowship time going straight, straight, straight through those doors down the hallway. And uh, also we'll look forward to seeing you at our discipleship hour at 11 o'clock. Thank you and you are dismissed.